What if that nagging feeling in the back of your neck was real? What if those hands reaching out from the dark that you believed were there, were there? What if the monster in the basement really existed? And what if there was really something under the bed? Would you have the courage to face your fears? The Death Lottery, written by The Fear Podcast. In the town I grew up in, we had a weird way of dealing with birth. I grew up in a town in upstate New York, and it was remote to say the least. Our town's population had been a thousand for more than a hundred years. The way they do this made perfect sense to me when I was a kid. But now that I look back on it, I can't believe I used to think it was normal. The way that my town handles birth is that depending on how many births we have that year, that will indicate how many deaths we need to have that year as well. We were taught the town couldn't handle more than 1,000 souls at a time. If we were over this amount by December 31st of each year, the population would drop to zero. I know this might sound insane that for anyone to allow themselves to believe this, but when even your parents are telling you this is the way, you tend to believe them. I know that this could be debunked by a quick Google search, but I grew up in an age before information was readily available, as it is now. Plus, the town I grew up in was extremely poor. I think the only person that owned a TV in the entire town was our town mayor. The way we kept this in balance is that we would hope there'd be enough deaths during the year to make up for the births. But if we don't, we have a lottery. Anyone that's over the age of 25 was eligible for the lottery. The town considered 18 to 24 to be prime breeding ages, so they didn't want people in their sexual prime to be removed from the population. For many years, we never really had to pull for the lottery. Life was tough and many of the jobs people had to do were dangerous, so balance was maintained most years without needing the lottery. When I was nine, all the adults had to pull for the lottery, and my grandfather was chosen. On December 30th, he was brought behind a shed and shot. We buried him and moved on, just happy that we could make the sacrifice of the town. It wasn't until my 26th birthday that we had to do another lottery. It was the second year that I was eligible for the lottery, so I was extremely nervous. We had to make up for four births this year. It had been a long winter, and we were stuck in our houses for many of those days. This was the most amount of births I had ever seen meeting be made up for, and we didn't have many elders left. I could see the panic on my father's face when he found out we had to pull again for the lottery. He had lived the majority of his life without the town needing to even out the population also, and hoped his family didn't need to sacrifice again for the town. December 26th was the day that we had to pull for the lottery, and everyone that was eligible showed up to the town hall for the drawing. The town tried to make a spectacle out of it to hide the brutality of the entire event. Each person was given a ticket with a number on it. There was a match number in the hat up front, and our mayor would pull the numbers, and the people that were chosen would step forward. Once these people were chosen, they were then put into holding cells, and if someone happened to die before the 30th, they would all draw again to see who would be exempt from the execution. I am handed a card, and the number I get is 9. My father and mother also grab one. My father gets number 307, and my mother gets 504. We wait for the remainder of the people to get their cards, and stare patiently at the stage for the mayor to read off who would be chosen. There were 752 people eligible this year, so the odds were definitely in our favor. The mayor talked about why this needed to happen and stressed that we needed to keep the town in balance. 
He stressed that this was a great sacrifice and a great honor for the people chosen. He wished us all luck and thanked us for our sacrifice. He then began to read off the numbers. 154. It was Miss Johnson from two houses down from us. Her family looked defeated, and she was taken to the holding area. 504. My mother tried to stay stoic, but you could see all the life drain out of her. I started to cry, and my father just kept his head forward. 9. My father started to whimper at this point, and tried to pull me in for a hug. The guards didn't allow this, and took me away. 307. My father fell to his knees, and the guards pulled him away towards the holding cells. Luckily for us, all of us were chosen, are put in the same holding cell, so we would have the opportunity to see each other before the end. At least that's what I thought at the time. My father muttered to himself for the majority of the first day, and my mother just sobbed in the corner. I couldn't believe the awful luck we had. I just sat awestruck for the first day. On the second day, we just tried to enjoy each other for the remainder of the days we had. We only had a few days after this one, so we wanted to make it count. I went to sleep that night, accepting that I was going to die. On the third night, I woke up to the sound of struggling coming from the corner of our cell. I could see my mother and father choking out one of the guards. I jumped out of bed and asked him what the hell they were doing. They said this wasn't right, and that it wasn't fair that our family should have to sacrifice this much. They had decided that we were going to get out of this town, and hope the teachings were lies. My father told me to get up and move. I complied and made my way for the door. Another guard came running down the hall when he saw us leaving. He fired in our direction but missed. We could hear the alarms going off now and figured there was no way we were making out of here. We ran from my father's old truck and tore down the road. We were followed close by the town police. They fired at us and managed to hit my mom in the shoulder. I ripped up part of my shirt and used it to try to stop the bleeding. Luckily, it looked like it went in and out. My father knew these woods better, though, and was able to outrun them on the side roads. Their cruisers just couldn't keep up with the awful conditions of the road. My father headed south for what seemed like hours. My mother had passed out from the pain, but seemed to be stable. I still couldn't wrap my head around what had just happened. I asked my father what was going to happen to the town if they didn't take, get their sacrifices. He figured, since we weren't in town anymore, that the balance had been maintained. I didn't see how that would work, but didn't want to argue with him. That brings us to today. It is December 29th, and we have managed to get ourselves in a small motel about 50 miles away from our town. We are going to try and wait out until the 30th, and then maybe return home. My father was able to stabilize my mother and sew up the wound. It's 11.59pm right now, and I have no clue what's going to happen to us in a minute. Will we be struck down by whatever forces keeps our town in balance, or were other sacrifices chosen? Could other sacrifices be chosen? I guess we'll find out in... 5... 4... 3... 2... 1... Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the story. Big thank you to the author for creating such an interesting and genuinely creepy experience. If you enjoyed the video, please subscribe or follow for more videos just like this one. If you'd like to support the channel, you can check out my Patreon link in the description below and know that I genuinely appreciate it. Follow me over on Twitter at podcast underscore fear or Facebook at fear the podcast. Thank you again for listening to the story, and until next time, always remember to face your fears.